This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, here in Lent, we have these three pillars that we focus on, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving that help us grow in holiness and move towards a full participation in the Paschal Mystery as we meditate and contemplate the life of Christ and his life, death, resurrection, and what that means for us here. So today, we're going to be talking about one of those pillars. We're going to be talking about prayer, and in specific, a book out on Emmaus Road called Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love. It's written by Father Boniface Hicks and also Father Thomas Ackland, both of whom are Benedictine monks of St. Vincent Archabbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Father Boniface is the Director of Spiritual Formation for St. Vincent Seminary, Director of the Institute for Ministry Formation, and has offered numerous courses on the spiritual life. And today he's here to talk with us about prayer and about this book. Father, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Great to be with you. So as we talk about prayer, very often we think of it in terms of the task that we have to do, right? Oh, I'm supposed to pray. I'm going to maybe pull out my rosary. I'm going to pray a rosary. I'm going to maybe even think of going and doing a holy hour. Still, often we think of it as a, a thing on our task list that we have to do and check off. I, and I have to tell you, I read just in the... Gosh, the first page, I realized that you've been reading my mail uh, because it starts off, and I just want to read a little bit of it here uh, just to kind of set the stage. Quote, I went to pray, but nothing happened. I just sat there. After a little while, I started to feel uncomfortable. I wasn't sure what to say. To be honest, I wasn't sure if anyone was listening anyway. I tried to talk to God, but I just heard the echo of my own thoughts. Then some random stuff started to fill my head, and I remembered some past experience. And then I got a little upset. I got out my rosary to keep myself busy, but as I started through the prayers, I get distracted by someone who walked out of the chapel, and then I was alone. And I felt really alone. And then I started to get bored, and my eyes began to close, and I started nodding off. And then suddenly I woke up, and I got really irritated. This is useless, I thought. I will never be able to pray. So I got up and left. And I can't tell you how many times one or more of those things has crossed my mind as I've come in, maybe to sit down before the Blessed Sacrament and try to focus my thoughts so that I can have a really good prayer time only to get caught up in all of the distraction. And you bring an interesting point up here that I want you to expound upon, that our distractions as we bring them to prayer are part of our prayer. So that's one, a really strange thought. Second, a really comforting thought. So lay out the framework. How does that work? How do my distractions as I'm here in Lent and I'm trying to grow in holiness and I'm trying to pray, how can even that part of me help in my prayer life? Well, T.L., thanks for that uh, wonderful introduction. You really have grasped what we were trying to express there in those opening pages of personal prayer. And there's a reason that I could describe all that so clearly. Uh, that experience is certainly familiar to me, and I understand it from the inside out. And, and it's part of being human. You, you know, it's kind of the, the two basic proposals that we make in personal prayer is that prayer is human and prayer is relational. And so 
we don't enter into prayer without our humanity. And that's one of the common problems. And one of the reasons we struggle with distractions is because we somehow presume we're not supposed to have them as if we were supposed to be angels. If we were angels, we wouldn't have distractions, but having bodies, being humans, we're going to have distractions. We simply cannot fix our attention as if we were pure intellect on one concept for a period of time. And uh, the other stuff is going to happen. So our humanity is going to happen. We have to bring our humanity into prayer with us, and that's unavoidable. But that's also not a problem, because in the relationship of prayer, God knew that he was relating with humans. He didn't expect us to be angels. And so he doesn't want something other than our humanity. He wants our humanity. And so rather than trying to pretend like we don't have distractions or beating ourselves up when we do have distractions or trying to get our hands around and strangle our distractions, better it's we go in expecting that there's going to be a mixture of stuff that's happening in our prayer. And among that mixture of stuff is going to be what we would call distractions. It's worth looking at the word distraction to begin with, distraction. And the point is that we're trying to get traction. We want to make a connection. And again, that's precisely the point of prayer. It's relational, and we're trying to make a connection with a person to get traction. And that's simply hard because the person we're trying to relate with at this point is, is pure spirit. Now, thanks be to God, one of those persons took flesh and dwelt among us. And so we have some fighting hope of connecting even at a human level with Jesus Christ. But to get traction is not, a, it's not an easy thing. And, and we have to be a little patient with ourselves. And we, we enter into that relationship and we persist in that relationship. And that relationship has a way of growing like other personal relationships over time with commitment by sharing our hearts and also by listening along with speaking. And there's going to be distraction in there. I'm going to get pulled away to something else. There's going to be something weighing on me. And just to make one more point, and I'll toss it back to UTL, but uh, just like in human relationships, we end up with distractions. Maybe I'm there. Uh, I'm not married, but I have, anyway, lots of, uh, lots of relationships with people. And uh, in a close relationship with somebody who really knows me, they say, you look distracted. Is there something on your mind? I say, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, I, I just, I get yelled at by my boss today and I'm, uh, I'm really struggling with that. It's, it really hurts. And I'm starting to wonder if I'm even in the right job and I'm, I really don't know where to go with any of that. And then a person who really loves me says, why, why don't we take some time and talk about that? Hmm. And, and why should prayer be something different than that? If it's really a person who loves us, he's not expecting some kind of perfect performance in which we impress him with our perfection. It's going to be relational and it's going to come from the heart and it's going to include those distractions. And, and it's going to require us also simply to turn our attention back some people get distracted by their cell phones or there are lots of other things and that can be a real real wedge in a relationship but when we're able to turn the cell phone over and focus our attention on the person that's an act of love and there again distractions become a way for connection if we look at them appropriately i grew up in a protestant tradition where prayer was very often extemporaneous right you 
pray whatever it is that comes to the top of your mind and and that can kind of meander and go a lot of different ways. Uh, I know many people who grew up in a more liturgical tradition where there were rote prayers that one would pray um, when whenever they would come to, to a time for prayer. So whether that be the prayer over meals is the often the same prayer, whether that be the prayer for uh, for let's just even say the liturgy of the hours. It's time for Compline. We pray that same prayer. Uh, and and so a lot of the times we think of prayer in terms of language, in terms of linguistics. And, and you bring up here in your book that that's a step on the way towards a deeper prayer, this contemplative prayer that we often hear bandied about as we talk about the saints, but don't often know what that looks like for us to enter into a prayer that is not based on the words that we say out loud or the words that we have to figure out uh, to, to put forth in a time of prayer. So let's look at maybe some of the steps of realizing the non-linguistic sides of prayer before we delve into this, this deeper question of contemplative prayer. And again, I think the relational analogy to looking at these things in terms of human relationships is just really helpful for us. And it, if we think about uh, now, you and I don't know each other very well. We're getting to know each other, and we do that through words, of course. How else are we going to express that? We speak the same language, uh, and that's important. We have a little different connotation for our words. We're learning that from each other. There's a lot happening right now in this relationship. As we got to know each other better, where we to get to know each other better, you know, we would be able to come to a place that uh, we, we wouldn't have to fill silences. We could come to a place of rest and and, and especially if there's a real love relationship that grows, then we, we, we start to carry the person with us. And, and there's a way that we're just making reference in our activity to a person, not necessarily conceptualizing thoughts or conceptualizing sentences or communication, although sometimes we do that too. When we fall in love, we, we start to think about how I could share the experience I'm having right now with my beloved when I see her later, you know. We start to think in those terms, but sometimes it's just the warm glow of a person and their presence. We come to a place where we can just sit in silence with somebody. In fact, sometimes we have such beautiful, intense encounters that we have a sense that speaking into them would spoil them. And sometimes a more anxious personality can kind of spoil the moment by spilling forth more words when, in fact, it's like, oh, no, we've just landed somewhere together. We are, we're having a moment, you know. So we have all of this in, in human experiences, and we can translate that into experiences of prayer. I, oh, let me just take one more step with that. You talked about formulaic prayers as opposed to extemporaneous prayers. We also have formulaic expressions in relationships. Mm -hmm. Hi, my name is Father Boniface, and, you know, and in fact, you said, tell me about yourself. And I started saying, I'm a Benedictine priest and monk of St. Vincent Archabbey, and I've been here for 25 years. And I, I have all of these formulaic prayers by which I introduce myself. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes I pick up forms from other people. I see how that person introduces themselves, them himself, and I make a little alteration. I introduce myself that way. So we have a lot of formulaic prayers that help, help us to form certain, uh, you know, some of the modern things are about memes and stuff like this. But anyway, we have certain conceptual frameworks in which we conceive of reality and, and we find ways to communicate that to each other. So, so with prayer. One of the things that I talk about when I'm interacting with someone who's of that Protestant tradition that I came from 
as I'm talking about those formulaic prayers is taking it back to that question of relationship that, that we're f- couching this whole conversation of prayer in and saying it's, it's completely possible and, and actually quite common for us to invest our emotions into someone else's words, right? A lot of times couples will have, here's our song. And so we're very common and very accustomed to saying, okay, I'm going to take this thing that someone else wrote and they did a better job than I could have done writing it, and I'm going to invest all of myself into that as a way to express to the other. With our Hallmark cards and uh, our quotations and our, our favorite expressions, uh, no, that's uh, that's absolutely right. That's that's beautiful, and and there's always a there's a kind of back and forth in that. I want to keep forming my mind according to great thinkers and great speakers, and then I also want to learn how to express those things in my own words. And there's always a commute back and forth, and and so with liturgical or formulaic prayers and extemporaneous prayers, I I want it to come from my heart, but I can express that in in various words. The book, again, is Personal Prayer, a guide for receiving the Father's love, written by Father Thomas Acklin and our guest today, Father Boniface Hicks, available on Emmaus Road Press. So let's talk about the person who has has gone through those steps. They've experienced maybe some extemporaneous, they've experienced the formulaic prayers, but they've not been able to get to the place where they have come to an encounter of the personal God. Um, that that God is other and transcendent and the person who we go and we receive at Mass, but it's all done in a very formulaic or distant way. How do we get to the place where we can maybe begin to believe that that this personal God wants to personally relate to us in in a number of different ways? One, through through the story of salvation history, but then also in a very particular way, in our individual circumstances and the places we find ourselves in life? Yeah, well, in, in some way, it's the million-dollar question, right? But it, it depends on the same thing as other relationships, namely that it's, it has to be an encounter of two freedoms. And that's why there isn't going to be a kind of uh, uh, oh, algorithmic mm-hmm. uh, way of doing that. It's not like you follow these five steps and then, boom, you've got this. Yeah, because because it's always an encounter of two freedoms. We're not, God is not merely an extension of our behavior. Uh, God is his own person. And so he encounters us in certain ways. Now we can do our part. I mean, again, think of a human relationship. If I come to a human relationship like a stone wall, I'm never gonna have a personal encounter. If I'm not willing to take a risk and open my heart, if I'm not interested in sharing my interiority, if I'm not interested in being personally present in a meaningful way, I'm not going to develop a personal and intimate relationship. And so we, we have to learn how to do that with God as well in prayer, that we really open the places in the heart. And, and that is, you know, to go back to that first point, it's often a stumbling block that, that people have is they think they're supposed to pray in a certain way. And that's where some of the formulaic stuff can uh, lead us a little bit astray and where, you know, some of the extemporaneous can be a great gift to us to, to counterbalance that. But we have to learn not just to say the words, but actually to put my own heart into somebody else's words. Or I, I have to find ways to express my own heart, to open my own heart to the Lord. A lot of times that's a, a cry for help, or it's a, a sharing of deep movements of the heart, or it's a, 
a real longing that I can get in touch with. And, and sometimes it's things that we think are kind of not appropriate for the chapel. Like, I, well, I want to leave my sin at the door. Well, we might need to actually express our sin and even go into some of these memories and experience our poverty in the Lord's presence and really bear our hearts. And so there are those kinds of things we can do to become vulnerable in order to open the way for an encounter to an intimacy with the Lord. And there are external supports that can help that. I mean, you're probably like I am. If you had a dollar for everybody that said they had their, they met the Lord at Saturday evening at a Steubenville youth conference, you know, it's like mm -hmm. there, there are ways that environmental factors and, and the community and, and certain dimensions can help to open the heart. But, but it always comes down to a personal decision to open the heart to the Lord. And then, and then still, you know, we can't force it to happen. We leave room for the Lord's freedom and, and that encounter that can emerge from that. So speaking of those environmental factors, many people have had an experience like that. Most of the time you're going to have had an experience with the transcendent. Maybe it was uh, out on a hike and you saw a beautiful scene. Maybe it was going to a time of, of deep worship like you would find at one of these conferences or a retreat. Maybe it's even one time sitting in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament and spending time in adoration, that you encountered some sense of the love of God. Very often, give it a couple of weeks, give it a couple of months, and you find yourself removed from that situation. And all of a sudden, you begin to question, did I ever really experience that thing? Did I really come and see God in that place? Because I haven't been able to find it again. So, what does it look like for us to hold on to the memory of those, those encounters and then to begin to foster, not necessarily go chasing after the environment, but begin, begin to foster those opportunities uh, for closeness with God? Beautiful question. Yeah, it's so important. Um, again, if I can make that relational analogy and uh, say we have a, a beautiful experience with someone we meet and uh, we, we fall in love in some way, our heart is moved by this person, we have a, a profound and meaningful encounter, uh, we find ways to meet up again. And, uh, and the second time is not as intense as the first, but we're starting to make a commitment and investment in a person and we're starting to regularize the relationship and it's starting to flow out a lot of times these initial encounters are kind of in a rarefied space, you know, the mountaintop experience. We don't yeah. live on mountaintops. I don't live at the Steubenville Youth Conference. Um, but being separated is has a value. And then I need to start allowing that to flow into the rest of my life. What does it mean to carry my love of this person? And, you know, somebody who goes to, has that Steubenville Youth Conference experience, or the mountaintop experience, continues to think about, the beloved now as they go back into work, back into family life, the thought is there somewhere. And then there needs to be an engagement and a, and a regularity that starts forming. Uh, couples fall in love and then they start to talk on the phone once a week. And then there's, and it's, you know, it's kind of boring, boring and normal. Although it's a little more interesting because my life is now being shared with somebody. So my life is a little bit more interesting than it was before this encounter. But, but there's a way that that spreads out into regular life and gets punctuated again. You know, there's another date, there's another time of prayer, there's another retreat, and there's a kind of natural flow of punctuated experiences, but then a commitment and a regularity that, that flows into life. 
you briefly mentioned it here earlier, and you mentioned it early on in the book, is the necessity of vulnerability for us to actually come into a place where we can encounter that closeness. Uh, it seems like we are vulnerable with the things that don't matter on social media and on, on it, you know, I'm going to be vulnerable about, about what I ate today. It's like a false vulnerability. I'm going to share my life with you and the things that don't threaten me. And in doing so, we protect ourselves from receiving that very connection that we so deeply in our, in our core, in our essence that we so deeply long for. So encourage us now into that vulnerability. Uh, we have this God who's not going to to take advantage of us. In fact, uh, God is love, and St. Thomas says that love in its essence is to will the good of the other. So this is who God is at his core, willing our good, and yet so often we're worried that he's going to backhand us with his, with his, uh, his divine presence, right? Well, that's, uh, that's part of the thing is, what are we worried about? And uh, that's a little different for everybody. You know, some people are worried about that he, him just not caring at all, not being interested. Why would he even want to listen to me? You know, a lot of different things that we carry around. Sometimes it's the fear of reprisal. Sometimes it's the knowledge of our own uh, poverty. We feel how unimpressive we are in that moment of honesty before God. And anyway, there's a whole variety of things. Just starting with that is actually a good starting place. Lord, I, I'm afraid that you don't care. I've, in fact, been so hurt by people who didn't care. When I tried to open my heart to my best friend, he didn't have time for me, and it's hurting. You know, just certain levels of honesty. God wants to receive us where we are, and, and those are the, the best starting points. Um, the Psalms uh, are a beautiful, a great help for us. Uh, you know, Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God, for you I long, for you my soul is thirsting, my body pines for you. And like to get in touch with those things, you know, G.K. Chesterton says, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is seeking God, right? And, and this is one of the ways also that we bring in what might be disordered desires, but see that there's really a hunger for something that that's meaningful, that's transcendent, that's fulfilling. And and so starting to bring the fullness of ourselves to him in those ways, but also the passages in, I mean, Jesus's words, come to me, all you who are weary and find life burdensome, and I will give you rest. Take him at his word. Lord, I'm so worn down. I'm so tired of this job that I'm working. I'm struggling so much in my marriage. I don't know what my kids are doing. You know, whatever the things are in our hearts that we bring them to him, and then, you know, we can, we can press into that. How does a God who is perfect love receive that? And, and that's where we make an act of faith, that, that God actually listens, receives, loves, and that opens the door to also, in some way, receiving his grace and experiencing that. But um, entering into that kind of dialogue with that kind of openness of heart is the uh, is key for us. Over the last few months, uh, I, a new concept has been presented to me that uh, all of them, interestingly enough, I think, from uh, Emmaus Road authors, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, this idea of prayer as exposure, that when I'm praying for someone else, sometimes I, uh, me being a very verbal processor, I always tend to think of needing to formulate a sentence when I pray for someone else. Um but there was uh, Meg Hunter Kilmer was on the show. She wrote a beautiful children's book about the lives of the saints. 
but she talked about praying for someone just kind of in passing, praying for someone simply as holding them in our heart and, and kind of holding them up to the light of God and, and exposing that thought and giving that thought to God without necessarily formulating something around it. And then uh, recently, uh, and I, I confess I don't remember who it was that said this, uh, it may have even been on last week's show, talked about uh, opening wide our aperture and letting the light of God into us just as exposing our inmost self to the radiation uh, that that God's light lets off. And I've experienced this myself when going and praying Vespers and sitting in the presence of the Eucharist, not coming up with anything to say, just kind of soaking in the radiance, which is a term that we see in Scripture, the radiance of God, and thinking of that radiance like I would think of other radiance, you know, as things begin to radiate, uh, UV rays or other kinds of, of maybe harmful things that we see in the world radiating, they begin to make a change on the things that receive that radiation. And the same, I think, is true for us, perhaps, when we begin to open our, our apertures up into the presence and letting God radiate into us, that, that radiation cannot but change our perspective and and ourselves. Beautifully said. Yeah, and that's also where we start to move into that place away from words and, and simply into the presence of God, into a more wordless prayer where I'm just allowing myself to be open, to receive, and to place myself before God who is sunshine, who is warmth, who is love, who who has a way of burning away that which is not of him and filling us with uh, the transforming love that comes from him. So it's a, it's a beautiful image to really move us into that dimension of contemplative prayer that you, that you mentioned earlier. The book, again, is Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love, available on Emmaus Road Press. Uh, this is my spiritual reading this Lenten season, and I'm going to do my very best to finish it by the time that Easter rolls around. It is, with its bibliography, about 350 pages, so it is a substantial read, but it's very accessible, deeply profound, and I think that it will make a difference in your life as well. I invite you to read it with me. It's written by Father Thomas Acklin and also our guest today, Father Boniface Hicks, both of whom are Benedictine monks of St. Vincent Arch Abbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Father Boniface is a spiritual director. He's the program manager and on-air contributor for We Are One Body Catholic Radio, also in Latrobe. Uh, he's the director for spiritual formation for St. Vincent Seminary and the director of the Institute for Ministry Formation and has offered numerous courses on the spiritual life. He and Father Acklin are also the co-authors of the book Spiritual Directors, A Guide for Sharing the Father's Love, also available on Emmaus Road Press. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation and dig a little deeper. We're going to look at the difference in the connection between meditation and contemplation, and then we're going to look at some practicals to help you grow in your prayer life. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Come and share with me what does your prayer life look like this Lent? Have you changed anything up? Have you had a specifically profound experience in prayer as you have walked through this Lenten season? There's so much more right after this break, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we're talking today with Father Boniface Hicks, a Benedictine monk of St. Vincent Arch Abbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. He's the Director of Spiritual Formation for St. Vincent Seminary, Director of the Institute for Ministry Formation, and has offered numerous courses on the spiritual life. Together with Father Thomas Acklin, he has co-authored the book Personal Prayer, a guide for receiving the Father's love. Now, this is a companion piece, I think, perhaps, to the book on spiritual direction, a guide for sharing the Father's love. This is a um, it's a dangerous proposition. And going back to this last thing that we talked about, uh, dealing with radiation, right? Uh, the radiance of God. Uh, it can be quite threatening for us to think about, specifically if we're unsure of, of really trusting the character of God, what does it mean for me to receive? I mean, I want to receive the love of God, but is it somehow dangerous for me? And of course the answer is, well, of course it is, but it's good, right? That's right. It does. It, it changes us. It makes things different. But, but as we, and in some ways it brings us to a kind of death as we participate more fully in that Paschal mystery that we are buried with Christ through our baptisms, raised again to walk in newness of life. We experience this Paschal mystery ourselves, but we also experience the resurrection that comes with that. So we're talking about personal prayer. Uh, here again, just I want people to pick this book up. I want them to read it. So we're obviously it's it's a couple of hundred pages, a few hundred pages. We're not going to cover all of it here, but I, I still I'm just stuck here in this introduction because you give, uh, you and Father Ackland give one of the most concise differentiations and definitions of the difference between meditation and contemplation. And I've often looked at, at Lexio Divina and you've got the four atzios, as it were. There's the, the Lexio, Meditatio, Oratio, and Complatio. You read, you meditate, you pray, and you contemplate. And I'm like, well, aren't those kind of synonyms? And you say, no, tell us a little bit about this difference. Well, uh, Tiel, I have to observe, first of all, that these words are heavily overloaded in the entire Christian tradition. So we, we make some clarifications up front. We're aligning ourselves with the catechism of the Catholic Church. <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty safe yep. central place for vocabulary use. And, uh, and it also closely aligns with St. Francis de Sales, who I, I think uh, is a beautiful writer on prayer and certainly understands things in the same way. Ignatius uses these words in quite different ways, and then they've been used synonymously in any way. It, it is kind of a mess, to be totally fair, but I think it's worth differentiating a kind of prayer with, which is an active thinking about God, and even, as we talked about in the first part, actively formulating words, and we're using our minds to try and connect with him. I'm thinking about his uh, passion. I'm I'm thinking about a, a verse from Scripture. I'm, I'm uh, reflecting on what this means. Uh, you know, it's a little like, I, I like to use the, the Annunciation as a model for Lexio Divina, the angel who's the messenger of the word, you know, he sort of reads to Mary the word, and then she thinks about it. What does this mean? What can this greeting mean? What does it mean? I don't know, man. She's wrestling with this. She's thinking about it. So that's that's meditation. That's actively thinking about using our minds to engage the mystery. And it requires directed attention. I'm dedicating my attention, my mental power. I'm not doing something else at the same time. 
So contemplation, on the other hand, is, is something that's happening at a deeper level. It's an intuitive knowledge. It's a loving awareness. It's, uh, it's a receptivity. Uh, it's a listening. So it's a, it's a more passive form of receiving God and, and remaining in his presence. And so that's something that we can continue. We can, we can do in a kind of dedicated way. And, and that's one of the movements. Lexio Divina is oriented to contemplation. It's not oriented to Bible study. It's not oriented to homilies. It's not oriented to productivity. It's oriented to coming into the presence of God and, and, and simply placing ourselves. That's that radiance again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and radiance is a great image because I don't need to be thinking about the thing radiating on me for it to be radiating on yeah. me. I need to be in the presence. And so it's our work perhaps through meditation and then also developing a habit of recollection. It's our work that, that places us in the presence, but then we can remain in the presence of God and continue to, to bask in that. And that becomes a deeper knowing, an awareness, uh, something that's not an active mental effort like meditation. And that's what we would call a, a contemplative prayer, a contemplative grace that's, that's taking place. Well, and in some ways, going back to the metaphor of the sun, not only is there not anything that we need to do mentally, after we've placed ourselves outside in the sun, it's really a matter of just not doing anything that would get in the way. Don't put on the sunblock and the sun's going to do its radiance, right? Don't actively oppose the radiation of God and that radiance will just come. That's right. And, and not to overdo that dimension either. It's fine we may continue to meditate and meditation and contemplation can sort of coexist, if you will. We, we can be in the presence of the one that we're also speaking to. So, Mm -hmm. but, but you're right. We don't want to, we don't want to busy it out of existence. (laughs) And when there's a point to stopping, then we should just stop. And, And there's no need to keep trying to seek after something. So, but it's a, the catechism makes those, has those three categories, vocal prayer, meditative prayer, and contemplative prayer. And uh, has really wonderful descriptions of those, but they're really three different things and they can all be going on at the same time or any two of them can be happening at the same time. You know, so um, we can be praying the liturgy of the hours, thinking about the Psalms that we're praying and also radiating in God's love Mm -hmm. that can all be happening at the same time. Well, so far we haven't left the introduction of the book, and it is a, it is an over three hundred page book, uh, titled "Personal Prayer: A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love." So it's supposed to be a guide. Uh, you've got numerous chapters in here that are principled, that lay down some principles and some ideas, and then a few chapters that are practical. Kind of walk us through the framework of what we should expect as we come to pick up this book to help us understand prayer more fully this Lent. Thanks, Teal. And I, I uh, yeah, I really, I really hope it can be helpful for people. We, we try to make it kind of very concrete and experiential. And you read that passage of describing prayer. We don't want to get so lofty that we lose people. On the other hand, we want to draw on the, the principles of the Christian tradition, which are lofty. It's, it, you know, it is an encounter with God after all. So um, we try to bridge that distance. And, and we really focus on the dimensions of prayer, uh, in descriptive ways, the experiences of prayer and um, the, the kinds of things that we bring. So 
Uh, prayer is relational and it's human. And what does it mean to bring different dimensions of our humanity into prayer? We experience our own poverty, for example. We experience our littleness. We experience silence. Uh, and, and, you know, so different ways that we that we encounter God in prayer and what that experience is like and how that ties into the experience and writings of different saints. And that's what we stretch that out over the, the first six chapters. And um, a, a lot of people have told me, and it's music to my ears, that just reading, they find that reading it very slowly is, moves them to prayer. And that's just exactly what I want to happen. And I hope that happens for, for all of our listeners. Um, but it's meant to be descriptive in a way that even kind of brings you into prayer. It's reflections on scriptures, the saints, and, and uh, kind of putting that in terms of experience. And then we take several chapters to apply all of these different categories, relationality, and the experience of poverty, the silence that comes, uh, littleness, the, uh, our humanity that gets in, involved. And we look at uh, how, how that comes into play in the mass, how that comes into play in Eucharistic adoration, how that comes into play in Lectio Divina, how that comes into play in uh, Marian prayer, like the rosary, or in various devotional prayers. We look at also the the, the Eastern Christian prayer, the Jesus prayer, and the kind of silence that we're moved to in that. So we really try to make concrete how to actually apply this, what to expect, how it works, how these different forms of prayer. Also a chapter on charismatic prayer and to, to sort of fit that into the broader tradition. Sometimes that ends up as a sort of weird outlier, but it really, it really unfolds with the same kinds of principles. And so uh, describe that. And then and then the last chapter is sort of like, well, all of this is aiming at heaven. What does heaven look like? And so we we take that that question up a little bit in the finals in the final chapter. What I love here is you're entering into the the practicals and helping us understand how we practically can enter into this prayer. You do so starting with the mass because a lot of times we think, oh well, if I can just get my prayer life to a good place then I'll be able to participate more fully in the Mass. And you're saying, no, 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 this is like, this is where we're going to start because all of us have this common experience together as we are corporately praying the Mass, that that helps us get a sense and maybe get our sea legs about us so that we can then enter into these other forms of prayer as well. Yeah, that's right. And 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 we, we focus specifically on that dimension. You know, the name of the book is Personal Prayer. And so what does my personal prayer look like in the context of the mass? What's, what's happening inside of me? You know, we, uh, you describe very beautifully the way that we can fill out somebody else's words with our hearts. Well, how do you do that in the mass? And so we look at some different dimensions of that ways to, to lift up our hearts to the Lord uh, as we pray in the preface or how to set aside the, the, the cares of the world as we enter into the sacred mysteries about the way that we encounter Christ and, in Holy Communion, and naturally the distractions that come and what happens when we just turn our attention back to the Lord or when we hear a word that strikes our hearts and to remain there. So it's, it's really a sort of inside of the framework of the Mass. What do I do internally and how do I meet the Lord? Now, one of the things that I personally have found, even when I find it difficult to find the right frame of mind to pray for myself, is that somehow I find it still easy enough to pray for someone else, to enter into intercessory prayer. So what role do you see that playing in the broader framework of prayer 
and specifically maybe to a particular point of how we pray during the season of Lent? Well, I uh, and we quote in the book, and it's uh, uh, it was helpful for me when I discovered it. Saint Therese had this uh, insight. She she was entrusted with one seminarian for whom she offered everything until she got a second seminarian, and it broke the bank. She didn't really know what to do at that point, uh, <laughs> and so she she wrestled with this question as only Therese can, you know. Right. And she found this line in the Song of Songs that says, "Draw me, and we will run to you." And she had this insight that when she has someone in her heart and she goes to the Lord, she brings them with her. And so there's a way that our prayer, our personal prayer, can also be intercessory. Now, there's a place also for explicitly expressing these intercessory prayers. And I think part of that is actually getting people into our hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes until we you know, say the prayer for the people in Ukraine or we say the prayer for the person who's suffering in some circumstance. Until we do that, it doesn't sort of enter into our hearts. But then as we bring ourselves to the Lord, we're always bringing all of those people in our hearts. And maybe this this is particular to someone listening. It, it is, at least for me, sometimes I don't feel completely worthy to go to God in prayer. And I might be nervous to do so myself. And of course, you're going to talk about this in the early stages of the book to help me do that. But I find sometimes bringing my my responsibility or internal desire to bring someone else to prayer takes me along with them. That's a beautiful expression, yeah. And our, our love uh, gives us courage mm-hmm. to uh, approach even that what we're, which we're afraid of. It's sort of like the prayer of Esther, you know, to save yeah. her people. She has the courage to go and ask for uh, Ahasuerus to extend the golden scepter, you know. So yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful insight. If not for yourself, then at least for someone else's sake. So let's, I have one last question here as we're, we're quickly coming to the end of our, our time together. Do you see something specific in your, your charism as a Benedictine that informs your prayer in a way that maybe you don't see elsewhere that, that through us hearing that and maybe beginning to appropriate that Benedictine charism and character to our prayer might help us to grow in our own understanding? Well, the kind of pithy and rather late phrase for the Benedictines, ora labora, pray and work, uh, is expressed a little more fully by St. Benedict in chapter 19 of the rule, where he says, we know the divine presence is everywhere with us. And then basically the whole rule is arranged around being sensitive, aware of God's presence in everything. So I think that's a particularly Benedictine thing. Columba Marmion called that the keynote of the whole rule. And uh, and so learning to be aware of God's presence in everything, which is ultimately a contemplative grace. And then he says, but we should be especially convinced of this when we gather together for the liturgy, for the divine office. So that becomes the firm point. We meet the Lord in the liturgy. That's an objective reality. We become open to his presence in the church. In, in the oratory, in the place of prayer, with the, with the praying community. And then we keep pushing that out into all of the other spaces. So that's really the Benedictine thing. That's uh, our goal. And, and I think that's uh, part of the gift that we share with the church, even as people find his presence in Benedictine monasteries, for example, coming on retreats, making a visit. Uh, it's a beautiful way if you have the chance for a little pilgrimage yeah. in this Lent. 
We're talking today with Father Boniface Hicks, a Benedictine monk of St. Vincent Arch Abbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, where they, I believe, do take pilgrims every once in a while. Uh, the book is Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love, available on Emmaus Road Press. Father, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure. If you missed any part of my conversation with Father Boniface Hicks or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And if this was just very uplifting for you, I've got good news. There is even more each and every week, we have an extra segment that we make available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our support community helps keep us on the air, and in gratitude, we make extra content just for them. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page to learn more. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and Church History. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching— Putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, to biblical commentaries, magisterial documents, and so much more. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading from scripture today comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 49. Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I answer you. On the day of salvation, I help you, and I have kept you and given you as a covenant to the people to restore the land and allot the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, Come out, to those in darkness, show yourselves. Along the ways they shall find pasture, on every bare height shall their pastures be. They shall not hunger or thirst, nor shall the scorching wind or the sun strike them. For he who pities them leads them and guides them beside springs of water. I will cut a road through all my mountains. I will make my highways level. See, some shall come from afar, others from the north and the west, and some from the land of Sain. Sing out, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and shows mercy to his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget her infant? Be without tenderness for the child of her womb? Even should she forget, I will never forget you. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 49. And here, among a couple of other places in Isaiah, we see this picture of tenderness expounded upon for us that the Lord is tender with us, and it draws us into this idea of wanting to be near him and to open ourselves up and be vulnerable in that communion, in that time of prayer with God. He's coming to us and saying, listen, let me show you the lengths that I will go to for you. Oftentimes we think of Lent as being that time where we go through extraordinary effort to try and be more holy or to try and be closer to God. And really, 
Lent is a time for us to look at all of those other things that we often think we depend upon, uh, food and sustenance and, and leisure and pleasures, and say, you know, these things really don't satisfy in the way that I need. What I most need is that connection with God. So it's not that we're going through extraordinary effort to be more holy, holier. Rather, it's an opportunity for us to look to what it is that truly does meet our needs and fulfill our deepest desires, our deepest hungers. And so here, as the prophet Isaiah is relaying to us what the Lord would say to us, he gives us a couple of things. First is that he's going to bring us back and give us to others, right? I'm going to give you as a covenant to the people, to a lot the desolate heritages, to say to the prisoners, come out, to say to those in darkness, show yourself. And then telling us along the ways, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to feed you and I'm going to make that way easy, right? We see that he's cutting a path in the mountains and making level the path that we have to then walk upon. He's making the way for us besides streams of water, those places that refresh us, cutting a road and then telling us, you might feel forsaken. You might think that that's the way that the world is. And Zion responds and says, the Lord has forsaken me. My God has forgotten me. Maybe that's you this Lent. And then he comes and he brings that picture of relationship, that closest relationship of infant and mother. Can a mother forget her infant? Be without tenderness for the child of her womb. And you and I have seen news stories. We've seen the exception. We know that the answer is, wow, it's rare, but yeah, that it can still happen. And he says, oh, well, even if she should forget, that tenderness that you would expect from a mother to her child, that's the tenderness that our God has for us and longs to give us in this season. Our reading from church history today comes from The Journey of the Mind to God by St. Bonaventure. Christ is both the way and the door. Christ is the staircase and the vehicle. Like the throne of mercy over the Ark of the Covenant and the mystery hidden from the ages. A man should turn his full attention to this throne of mercy and should gaze at him hanging on the cross, full of faith, hope, and charity, devoted, full of wonder and joy, marked by gratitude, and open to praise and jubilation. Then such a man will make with Christ a passion, that is, a passing over. Through the branches of the cross, he will pass over the Red Sea, leaving Egypt and entering the desert. There he will taste the hidden manna and rest with Christ in the sepulcher, as if he were dead to things outside. He will experience as much as is possible for one who is still living what was promised to the thief who hung beside Christ. Today, you will be with me in paradise. For this Passover to be perfect, we must suspend all the operations of the mind, and we must transform the peak of our affections, directing them to God alone. This is a sacred, mystical experience. 
It cannot be comprehended by anyone unless he surrenders himself to it, nor can he surrender himself to it unless he longs for it, nor can he long for it unless the Holy Spirit, whom Christ sent into the world, should come and inflame his innermost soul. Hence the apostle says that this mystical wisdom is revealed by the Holy Spirit. If you ask how such things can occur, seek the answer in God's grace, not in doctrine. In the longing of the will, not in the understanding. In the size of prayer, not in research. Seek the bridegroom, not the teacher. God, and not man. Darkness, not daylight. And look not to the light, but rather to the raging fire that carries the soul to God with intense fervor and glowing love. The fire is God, and the furnace is in Jerusalem, fired by Christ in the ardor of his loving passion. Only he understood this who said, My soul chose hanging, and my bones death. Anyone who cherishes this kind of death can see God, for it is certainly true, as Scripture says, that no man can look upon me and live. Let us die, then, and enter into the darkness, silencing our anxieties, our passions, and all the fantasies of our imagination. Let us pass over with the crucified Christ from this world to the Father so that when the Father has shown himself to us, we can say with Philip, it is enough. We may hear with Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And we can rejoice with David, saying, my flesh and my heart fail me, but God is the strength of my heart and my heritage forever. Blessed be the Lord forever, and let all the people say, Amen, Amen. That reading comes from The Journey of the Mind to God by St. Bonaventure. And oh, how this calls to us. This again, as we were saying, the purpose of Lent is not to deny ourselves some good, but rather to recognize the thing that will most fulfill us is the presence of Christ himself. That is that relationship that we come to through prayer that we find is really the thing that sustains us. And we see this here in this early part of this reading as he says, let us, like the thief on the cross, let us choose that kind of death. Let us direct our attentions and our affections to God through prayer and to give up all of these other things. He says, full attention, turn our full attention to this throne of mercy and gaze at the cross and choose that cross with him through that Passover. May that be made more clear to us this week as we approach prayer in a new and deeper way, coming into this place of communion and affection with God. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's show is brought to you by Eileen Herman and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page to learn more. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.